Morning City Life, morning visitors and friends and families. We're so happy to be together another week that we get this opportunity to come and worship our Lord again, uh, that His mercies and His grace have brought us to another week. And I, I wanted to start with a vision minute today that's been on my heart for this whole season, really, but more especially recently. And I just want to start out with some congratulations. First, Gladys and Caleb, congratulations on getting married this week, and we're just so happy for you. We so long and, and wish for us to have been able to share everything leading up to here with all of you and, and do things in person. But please, from the bottom of our hearts, we're just so happy for you. We're so excited. And Steve and Janice, you guys are getting married next weekend, and man, we just... As a church, we just wish we feel like there's a lost uh, opportunity to have been with you, to share this a little bit more intimately. But know that we've been praying for all, for you guys until now, and we will continue for this whole week. And Amy Wall graduated from uh, the as a vet tech this week, and we just want to celebrate these things, these milestones with all of you. We're just so proud and happy of you. And uh, I say all of this to say that our, our call to be a church with one another, to be invested and personally involved and present has not changed. No season, no anything that ever happens will ever change that calling for us. And so in every way that we can, let's continue, let's press on in this season to be a church, to live out this Jesus thing with one another, to live out this relationship, family, intimacy with one another as we pursue Jesus together. And we're all, we're tired. We're tired of being distant. We're tired of the, all these Zoom calls. But it's the best way that we have right now of reaching out, of being in one another's lives. And so let's remain committed to our MC calls, to all of the things outside of MCs that we're still doing online. Let's look for ways to be creative and, and having fun with one another because we still long to be a church together. That God is still holding us together week, uh, I believe 22 it is that we're in right now. And so we're, let's continue to pour our hearts, pour our souls, pour our relationships into this church. Now our, our call does not change. God has called City Life to be a church that finds home, that encounters Jesus, and that pursues gospel change together. And we're going to do that in the season. We're going to continue to pave the way forward in that and call people to know Christ in a deeper level. So church, we love you. We want to celebrate everything that's going on in your lives. And so come to our MC calls. Let's dive back in. Let's join the MC calls after Sunday. Let's look for other ways to be in one another's lives right now because we just have so much love for all of you and nothing, no circumstance will ever change that. So church, let, let's get into our word for today. Let's continue our series that we've been calling Deepening Our Souls. We love you. I've talked about it a couple of times, but back in 2015, I believe, I went with my wife to Israel. And one of the most peculiar, one of the creep, semi-creepy, but very odd and eerie thing that I saw in Israel that I had no idea or expectation for, was that if you go to the east side of Jerusalem, and you look out, the, the temple used to be here, and the city wall went through here. And then there would be this valley leading up to the Mount of Olives. And in this valley was one of the oddest things that I've ever seen, is just grapes, 
grave after grave after grave, almost on top of one another, barely enough room to walk around in, but there's just all these mass graves. And, and our tour guide led us here on the way to the Mount of Olives, and he started teaching us. He said, you know what? Uh, these religions take God seriously. They believe that he's coming back. They believe that our lives matter. The way we live them, live them matter. And we also believe that he's coming back. Because in scripture it tells us that God will come back. He will sit where the temple used to be, facing the Mount of Olives. And so here's the idea. It's, it's one of the weird things. It's one of the things that we all, that the three of our major religions agree on. And it's that God's coming back and we want to be the first one there. We want to be the first ones to say, you know, God, we, we, we believed in you. We understood what you were doing. Look at us, judge us first, and then send us out because we want to be the first ones in line. We understand you the best. And so right underneath the temple is where all of the Muslim graves are. And then right underneath there is where all of the Jewish graves are. And then on the other side of the valley where, where it's going to the Mount of Olives is where all of the Christian graves are. And it's so, it's so funny that there's seemingly so few things that unite us that really bring us together. But in this, in this graveyard, we're, we're all there and we say, God, we want to be first. Judge us first because we have the right recipe of believing in you. And so we have some pictures. We can throw them up. It's just grave on top of grave on top of grave. We have a couple of pictures we're just going to throw them out there for you to see, for you to really take it in, to see, man, we we want to be there. We want to be there when he comes back. And it's really caused, it's really, uh, this passage has reminded me of these graves. Because even though it's a picture of death, to me, it, it communicates so much about life. It communicates so much about this, the big idea for today. You know, we're in this series, Deepening Our Souls, and we're we're looking at the things that, like, Lord, life is going to be difficult. Life is hard. We even have this enemy, Satan and his kingdom, who are, who's out to kill us. Life is going to take on its own. We're going to lose. And so we're trying to wrestle with all this and make sense of it all. But yet, and Peter in here, he's writing to a group of persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. He's saying, hold on to Jesus. Don't let go of him because he is life itself. That there's no situation that is beyond his grasp. That even in death, like we see in our graves, even in death, God is able to come and reach us and bring us back. And so today we're going to continue this, this series, but we're going to look at it at a different angle. A, a slightly different perspective that Peter is now moving us into. And it's no longer about, hey, let's, it's not all about what we're losing. It's not all about what we're saying no to. It's not all about, man, everyone else gets to live these lives and we're just stuck here having to be holy. No, no, it's not, it's not any of that. It's actually, what are we gaining out of all of this? What is being brought into our lives because of all this? And so instead of the question being, instead of our big point being today, anything about how, what are you losing? What do you have to say no to? We've asked some of those questions already, and they're a good question. But Peter is moving us to this question, I believe. And it's how much are we willing to live for? This idea that we actually get to live towards something, that we're actually gaining out of this, out of our faith. You know what? Actually, we're receiving eternal life. We're receiving joy. We're receiving grace. We're growing in our capacity to relate to one another, 
to be a real full whole heart beating person in this world that we're just so emotionally mature as believers as people and we're gaining so much more than we are ever losing and so the question for today that we need to work on a little bit today is how much are we living how much are we willing to live for you know and yes again we're called to even intentionally suffer for Christ Peter says that Paul says that the Old Testament has that all over the place and even just life itself will take from us and we will suffer but then in all of this what are we actually living for what are we raising up with soul power and saying, you know what, I'm going to go through this because my Lord is with me. It doesn't matter what happens to me. How much are we gaining because of our faith in Christ? To me, what, what the graves there represent. To me, the, at, at least the best part of what those graves represent is that God has, is calling a group of people to say, you know what, even if I die, even in my death, even if I'm in that grave, that there's no situation that you can't resurrect me from, that there's no pain that you can't heal me from, and there's no situation that you won't deliver me from. And so let's dive back into Peter chapter 4. I've asked Jessica Smiles to read some of it, and so thank you, Jessica, so much for reading it for us. She's going to be reading chapter 4, tw verses 12 to 19, and I'll read the first 11 verses. But let's ask us ourselves this question. What are we living for in our faith? What are we gaining in this faith? And let's not just worry about the loss and the sacrifice, but what is all of that producing in us? How is that at times the best thing that could ever happen to us? So before we go into the reading, let me, let me just pray for us. Let me pray for the reading of the word and the receiving it so that Jesus continues to do something productive with all of this effort that we're putting into this all of this lord please help me understanding some of the most difficult parts of living and my life and so please pray with me jesus we firmly believe and state that you can bring us out of anything you can cause life to come from death anywhere you can deliver us, you can restore us, you can heal us. And so, Lord, help us to bring those things that we confess with our mouths into our hearts, into our souls, into our experiences, into our past wounds, into our fears for the future, into our fears of suffering, and produce something that is weighty, that brings us life. Lord, life is too difficult on by ourselves. It is too difficult without a God who says, I can help you and I can take you out of this thing. I can bring you freedom. And so, Lord, please use the words that you caused to come out of Peter to speak afresh to us today, to breathe new life into these words for us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this time and we ask for you to do your work pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read the first 11 verses of our passage today, starting in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has, has ceased from sin. 
so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery that they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the same spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that, the Lord, that, the, that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, City Life. I'm Jessica, and I'm here with a scripture reading for today. A reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Suffering as a Christian. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Jessica. So appreciate your voice. So appreciate the voices of our church and we want them to be heard. And so remember, First Peter is this book written to persecuted Christians who are some of which are struggling to hold on to Jesus. And Peter's saying, wait, wait, slow down. Don't let go of Jesus. Hold on to him. His pastoral heart is just coming out. He has been in, his gut has said, write this letter, encourage these people to not let go of Jesus because it's the most important thing actually that they need to hold on to. And he's writing about these difficult things and some of the worst scenarios for the believers in Asia Minor. And he's saying, just hold on, hold on. And so he starts with this important area. The first point of our sermon today I've been calling Leave Behind. And it's really the first seven verses, but it's really based on the first two words. Church, I, I think a lot of you know this, but we need, to, we need to hit this again. Whenever you read the word therefore or since in Scripture, that's a reminder for you. Slow down, read it again. There's something significant happening. It's almost, if you picture it like a building, it's almost as if the writer has been laying this foundation 
and then therefore or since comes about and and he's saying okay i'm going to start building on this foundation notice the change notice where i'm going here now notice that we've done all this work already you know peter so far as he's we have this living hope that we never let go of we're called to be these living stones right that god is building into a spiritual home that he's we're set apart we're supposed to be live these holy lives these lives that are peculiar peculiarly odd that look different from everyone else that point people back to jesus and that we're supposed to be these people who are so devoted and willing to suffer because the suffering actually produces good things in us. And then we see these words, since, therefore. And immediately say, okay, Peter, you're doing something different. You're changing the focus a little bit or you're adding on to it. And he really introduces this idea of what we're actually living for, what we're actually putting all of our heart and our soul power towards. And in here, I really see Peter's pastoral heart again shouting out. I hope that you read this. Whenever there's sin mentioned here, I hope that you don't read it. Oh, this guy's just so angry. He hates all of these sinners. But no, this is his pastoral heart to people who believe in Christ. They're saying, hold on a little bit more. And the first two verses, again, I'll read it. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so he's saying he's already linking us back, linking our lives back to Christ. He said, you know, Christ suffered in the flesh, and so we have to as well. But then arm yourselves in this way of thinking. That whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. See, if, if, you, if you suffered, if you withheld from sin, if you said, no, I'm not going to do this. He's writing, remember, to Christians who were pagan before. And he's saying, you know what, if you've held out, if you're holding on to Jesus... If you just won't go back, even if it's just out of obedience at first, if you're holding on and you reach this point where you, where it's not a struggle anymore, you've put away your, la- your life the way that you used to live it, the way that you used to think. Remember, he's calling us here to think like Jesus. And verse 2 says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, not, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And he's saying, you know, hold on to Jesus because it's not going to be like this all the time. You hold on, you fight this sin because you know what? At some point, you're going to break free. God's going to break free and deliver you. And instead of living for your passions, instead of living the way that you used to do as a pagan, instead of missing the sin that you used to have, you'll actually start living for the will of God if you hold on long enough. And if you're earnest enough, if you're fighting for it enough, here in verse 1, he, he says, arm yourselves. This is called a fighting to be a soldier. Remember, that's a metaphor used in Scripture. And he's saying here, you know, it's not only about what you're losing, but it's about what you're gaining. This this change in perspective that Peter is bringing us towards. He's writing to people who know suffering. You and I know suffering. Maybe not to the extent or the kind of suffering in here, but all of us, we're acquainted with suffering. And so many of us... <laughs> So much of life, is just it just beats us down and says, you know what, things are never going to change. You're going to be in here forever. Satan and his demons say, oh, you know what, this thing in your life, this bondage that you're under, oh, you're, you're never going to get out of this. I've gotten you generation, a generation of your family. There's no way you're going to break out of this. But God here, in this living hope that we have, remember Peter started this whole book off of this, this living hope that we have, you know, it produces something good. 
that somehow with God we can break through all, all of the human passions and get to this place where we live for God's will, for the will of God. And so all of our vices, all of our addictions, all of the things that we do, we can bring to God and we can actually get freedom from. That there's actual change in this life that can be a result of our faith in Jesus. So many people need to hear that. So many Christians need to hear that. That there's growth to be had. That, there's, that you can be in a place tomorrow that you have never been in before. That you don't have to be trapped. So many of us keep these secrets and so many of us never open up. And you know what? In Jesus and in this community, since therefore all of these things that Peter has said, you know what? There's freedom to be had. Uh, these these sins that he lists here are not to be <laughs> yelling at other people, but it's these human his human desires, these human passions. Sensual sensuality is this. You can't control your senses, but your senses actually control you. And so, if you want to go sleep with someone, you can't. If you want that feeling, you're just gonna go do it. Or if you want to keep eating and you find pleasure in eating and there's no control to your eating, you're going to go eat. And then and then these drinking parties, this drunkenness, if you just cannot live your life without some buzz, without something altering you. And, and, and he goes on to say, you know what, and actually, because you used to do things and now you know Christ, the people who used to do these things with you, they're going to make fun of you, they're going to malign you, they're going to be like, well, you used to do this. You, you think you're better than me now? I can even hear them saying that if they were New Yorkers. But he's saying that there's this change, that there's these things that we can actually live behind. We're not trapped in the things that we've been trapped even our whole lives for. You know, and so if you're a new Christian, it's this reminder. Or if you're, an un, if you're still a developing Christian, is that you don't have to be trapped in the things that you're trapped in right now. That life, of, life with Christ is actually about freedom. There's actually a real freedom to have had. So many Christians don't experience the freedom. And it's because maybe we don't know that we're actually living for something. Living towards something. Living for someone. And, and if you're hearing this and you're an old Christian... Or you've been around the block a couple of times and you're like, you know what? I still struggle with some of the things that I did when I was young. I, I know so many people who have said, you know what? Paul had his thorn and I, and I have mine too. And yet that's biblical and I, and I get it. Um, but I'm not going to give myself any excuses to be indulging the same things that I have always done. That this life with Jesus is about leaving things behind, of giving it to God and letting him leave it behind with me actually and experiencing freedom. In, in this list of sin here, and in this idea where, you know what, they're going to see that you don't do these things anymore, and they're going to call you weird. One of the most twisted men who have ever lived was, uh, was an emperor here, and his name was Nero. I talked about him a couple weeks ago, about the things that he did to Christians at the time. And, and he said this about Christians, that because Christians didn't do these things, he labeled them as haters of humanity because we didn't do all of the things. We didn't just do whatever we wanted like he used to do or because we said no to pleasure, we were somehow weird. 
And it's, it's this idea that, you know, there's freedom to be had when we know Christ, when we know the one who suffered for us, who won over everything. He was a man just like you and me, and, and yet he was, he never sinned. And I love this about our faith. I love that we are not believing in something that says, you know what, it's going to be better when we meet him, or it's going to be better when we die. Listen, no, we have freedom today whether we're not even believers, you know what? There's freedom to be had. Whether you're a new believer, you know what? In 10 years, I pray that your life looks radically different than it does. In a week from now, I pray that your life looks different than now. And then for us old Christians, let us never get re relaxed with sin. Let us never ease into anything. But say, you know what? I belong to a God who changes things. I belong to a God who calls me to live for something and towards something. And, and this, I love where Peter goes from here, and I've been calling this next session, this next section, widespread love. And so again, remember the since and therefore, it still applies here. And he, he goes on from talking about these things, you know, his pastoral heart saying, you know, there's freedom to be had, that you don't have to be trapped in the same things you were, that you're called to leave things behind and live for God's will. But you know what? Building on the since, therefore, he starts talking about love and loving one another. It's not a place that I think many of us would have taken this logically, but the Holy Spirit put this on his heart. You know, from there he went, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he starts talking about hospitality. Say, serve one another without grumbling. Open up your homes. Live with one another. Give away your things. Treat people well. Strangers, people you know, fellow believers, treat them with love. And he said, you know, you do all of these because we have all received varied parts of God's grace. And so if you speak... Speak oracles of God. You know, if you're going to talk, talk good things. Speak life into other people. Tell people about the gospel. Speak freedom over the world. And you also, if you're one who serves, serves with, serve with the strength that God supplies. Don't do anything out of your own efforts. Don't think that you are this master server. You know, but serve out of the abundance that God gives you. And he says that we do this all in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I love this. I love this place that Peter goes to here. You know, he ta he's talked a lot already about living stones, right? These, be these living, breathing monuments that point people back to Jesus. Take care of one another. You are part of a family that God is building you all as these living stones into a spiritual home to be with one another and the Lord. That you can't do this Christian thing without one another. And on and on, he, he keeps on saying, you know what, it's this call to love. And it's because this love covers a multitude of sins. I, I used to work in a place that wasn't, uh, that didn't have the best communication between offices, between different parts. And, and there I was introduced to this idea called the communication gap. And it's, it's, it's this, Do you, if you're in an environment when there's miscommunication, what fills in that gap? Is it trust or is it mistrust? Distrust, mistrust, whatever the appropriate word is. And so he's urging us as believers again, you know what, love one another because love covers a lot of different sins. 
that if you're loving one another, that if you're serving one another, if you're speaking life into one another, do it for the glory of God. Because when you're together, remember, you're in this home and God is in this home as well. And he's using that home to have a safe place to teach you about him, to use his refining fire like Peter has been talking about, to burn away everything else that's not important. And I love the mention here of the varied grace, you know, of that everyone is made differently and that God gives different gifts to different people and how we need all of them in this church. We need all of them in the church globally because there's something about you. There's something that God has made you. There's a part of your testimony that someone needs to hear. There's someone in our church that needs to hear your story. There's someone in the world who doesn't know Christ who needs to hear your story, who needs to be served by you, who needs to have you open up their home for them, who needs to hear a word that, you know what, things are going to get better because we believe in a God who created everything, who is good, where that nothing is outside of his reach. And so love one another. I love how scripture over and over and over again emphasizes love because love is this active thing. Love is this thing that never gives up. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Read all of the attributes that love is. It's so beautiful that we're not called to just be the most righteous people in the world, that we aren't expected to be perfect by one another, but we are expected to love one another, to always be pushing the, the boundaries of love to always be out, out doing one another in service and love for one another. And then we're taking this idea and, and we're going into the third point where Peter's developing it even more. And I've just been calling this as a Christian. And then starting from verse 12 until the end, verse 19, Peter's taking more steps, building up on this foundation even more. And he's saying, you know, don't be surprised when fiery trouble comes. You know, when they come, praise the Lord, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. That you're doing something like him, that you're living your life for him, that you're actually understanding and doing this thing that he's calling you. You're following his teachings. Your life is really oriented the right way. Don't be surprised because it's going to come. And it, and it really finds its fruition in verse 16. It says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. You know, some of the suffering in life happens because of our mistakes. Some of it happens because the world goes. But I think the goal in this, what Peter is saying, he's saying, you know what? Because we have this calling over our lives to know Jesus, to follow him, to leave behind the life that we used to, to, to live in his will, and then to live with one another, to practice love with one another because it covers so much of this dirtiness. And because of all of that, live as a Christian. So orient your life, so orient your heart to say, to be able to say, you know what, everything about what I do, I do because Christ has informed that decision. You know, I live here in Jersey City because God told me to be here. I could be living, I could, for the same rent I have right now, I could be living in a mansion in North Carolina somewhere, but I'm here in Jersey City because Christ has brought me here. And he's keeping me here. Or like, oh, I have this job here because Jesus told me to work here. Whether it's corporate, nonprofit, anywhere. You know, I'm working here because Christ has placed me here. 
He's given me this passion, these skills, these talents, and he actually brought me to where I am right now. Or I used to have another job or another career, but God so moved in me to say, you know what, this is not what I'm calling you to, but do this. And now I'm so much happier now because I'm in God's will and I'm, do, I'm where he told me to be. Or even this person here in my life, it makes no sense for me to be their friend. They don't know the Lord or they have all of these things going on. I can't relate to them in any way, but you know what, Jesus actually has put them on my heart for so long that I'm reaching out, that I'm trying to serve them, that I'm telling them about Jesus when I can, but when I can't, I'm, I'm living it out. It's that every part of our life that we live as a Christian. And then when we do that, you know what, don't be surprised when fiery trials come, because they're going to come. And actually, you know what, don't even just be surprised, but rejoice when they come. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And that's really the heart of all of this. That's the heart of what Peter is doing, what he's teaching us. So live, live your life 100% informed by Jesus, informed by your faith. And then you won't be surprised when things come. And you'll also see His glory all over the place. And you'll be able to rejoice through, through it. You know, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer. Don't meddle in people's life. Don't just interject yourself in and tell them your opinion and then, and then peace out. You know, don't do all these things. And as much as all of these words, murder, thief, evildoer, meddler, as much as that is a title, the word Christian here is actually unique because it's only actually used, I believe, three times in the New Testament. Because being called a Christian was not a, was not a good thing in Jesus in this day in Peter's day, it was a derogatory term that was used to be made fun of Christians, and so you know I identify Peter saying I identify with Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, so you can call me a Christian if you want, you can make fun of me like that, but I'm I'm gonna suffer everything, I'm gonna go through my life, and let my faith inform everything about it. I'm going to let scripture and Jesus' teaching dictate the way I show grace, I show love and mercy, and make my decisions. You know, my life might look different from everyone else's, and people might malign me because they used to know the old me, and now they see who I've become now. And I'm going to praise all the more because Jesus has been so faithful to me. And Peter's encouraging the believers to do that. Don't let go of Jesus. Because you're actually living for something that is far greater than what you used to live for. That you have freedom now. That you, we know what true freedom is. That God just moves so powerfully in our life. And then he goes into this that's really interesting. He says, for it, for it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. And at first this was confusing to me. I didn't really understand what was happening, and I did some reading. And the heart of this is saying, you know what? The moment we believe in Jesus, things will come. Trials will come. Satan will come in his kingdom. Other, other non-believers will come, and they'll try and hurt us, and they won't like what we believe in. But this is the idea that we are so moved by Christ, that we do everything as a Christian. And so I picture it as, I'm sitting in this chair, and I'm not going to leave this chair until Jesus tells me. 
And then when trials come, you know what? They're actually not hurting me, but they're refining me. They're making me look more like Christ. And so I hold myself on this chair until Jesus tells me to go somewhere else. And then everything that comes is doing something positive. I might not like it. Peter definitely is not just skirting away suffering in this. He's writing to people who know suffering intimately. But he's saying, you know what? God's glory is being revealed to you. Just give it time and give it patience and give it soul power. And God's going to be with you because he starts refining the people that he loves. Whenever we say yes to Jesus, we don't face condemnation anymore, but we, ref we face God purifying us. And so for the rest of the world, there will be condemnation. But for us, there will be refining. There will be the, our Lord who wants to see us look more like Christ. And he'll, he'll make sure that that work happens. And so if us in our lives, if Christians aren't willing to say, you know what, Lord, come, come what may, even test me. Bring fiery trials to test me, if that's in your will. But I'm going to hold myself where you tell me to be for long enough for you to actually produce something good in my life and in my heart. And if Christians can't be the ones to do this, then what hope does the world have? Part of our suffering is for other people to know Christ. And, he, I, and I love this. Peter doesn't just leave it there, but he goes even a step further. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I, I love how Peter throws that in there. Because we, we're not serving some God who hates us and wants to see us suffer. We're not serving a God who's just malicious and wants a group of people in this world to have a hard time. But we do this, you know why? Because we have a faithful creator who so loves you and who so loves me that he gave us his only son, the best example of who he was and how to live this life, a teaching that was pure and so otherworldly. And he's saying, you know what? Because that's the best thing that I've ever had, I'm going to make you look more like this. I'm going to help you. I'm, a f I'm faithful, and I'm your maker. And so I know how to take you from where you used to be, the pagan that you used to be, the one who was just always controlled by your passions, the things that you wanted to do to satisfy your needs. You know, I'm, and God is able to take us to start living for his will. And so let's just conclude all of this. Let's, it's a lot. Let's throw all of these ideas together and just package them up a little bit. Part of this series, I have enjoyed learning so much about First Peter. I've enjoyed diving into this word. But it's also, part of this has made my heart to be really heavy at times. Because with all of these difficult things, I often sit here and I wonder, Lord, I know how difficult it is to do all of these in my life. And my heavy-heartedness comes because I wonder how many of God's people are willing to sit down and allow him to mold us. Say, just like this idea that we ended on here. If not, if not God's own people allowing him to do the work, then what hope does the world have? But then, but then I read passages like this. Philippians 3, verses 8 to, 8 to 11. It says this. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him having nothing have not having and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So part of the heaviness of heart for me here is that man, this, is, this is difficult. This is a difficult calling that we've said yes to. But with that said, it's the best one, the only one that brings true life, that changes us entirely. And so our big idea for today is, what are we living for? What are we saying yes to? Put aside the things we're saying no to. Put aside the struggles of the world for a moment. And think about, what are we saying yes to? What am I actually being called to live for? To grow muscles in. To say, you know what, Jesus, have your way. How can I know you in your death and in your resurrection? Because if I know you there, then I have life that will never leave me. When my body dies, or when I'm going through something difficult, you know what, Jesus, I know that you're there and you're good, faithful enough to hold me up, to bring me out of it, and to restore whatever damage that has come. So I, I want to make sure that this series isn't romanticizing suffering in any way, because it's hard, and it's difficult, and there will be things in, that we suffer here that we'll only regain, we'll only be given back when we meet him in heaven. But the idea remains, what are we living for? What are we saying yes to? What are we putting our heart's hopes in? And how are we living them out? How are we chasing them? How are we remaining devoted to all of this? So I, I see a group of people here in Jersey City, not even just in our church, but God's people in Jersey City, who are with their hands up saying, Jesus, whatever you have come my way, I will so live my life committed to you that if there, when the difficulties come, I know that you can sustain me, that some of them are because you're refining me, and that you can restore me. You can bring me resurrection. And so church, let's continue to pursue this thing together. Pursue this calling that we have to say, Jesus, your plan is better than mine, and so do the work in me, in my heart and my soul, and restore me because I know that you have good plans for me. And so, church, today we're actually jumping on a citywide call. It's going to be in the comments below. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and his resurrection that brings us new life. We're going to remember him. We're going to acknowledge him. We're going to thank him, saying, Jesus, this is a debt that I could have never paid. And so let's jump on this church call We'll get into some groups and wrestle through a couple of questions. But church, we so love you. We're so happy to be together. Let's jump on this call, talk a little bit, and um, see one another's faces. All right, we love you. See you in a bit. Prompt question number one. This one requires true honesty. Has following Christ made you feel like you've lost or gained more in life? 
this following has following Jesus is your perspective oh, I've had to put so many things down or you know what I've gained so much from knowing Jesus this is an emotional question this is a question from the heart not from the mind because really committed Christians at times say oh this is too difficult and so where are you right now because it's important to know do you feel like you've gained more because of Christ or lost more question number two what does it mean to be self-controlled and sober-minded, and how does it change your prayer? All right, church, we love you. Let's jump on this call. We're going to take communion with one another. Uh, I'm so excited to see all of your faces. Uh, we love you, and we'll see you next week.